Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Three Point Threat Podcast. I am your host, Jared Woodcox. Excited to be with you for the 26th episode of the Three Point Threat Show. Um, have a really exciting lineup for you guys today. I'm excited for, for what's ahead. Going to actually start out for point one and, and talk with Brandon Apter of Sixerdelphia and Sports Talk Philly. Uh, he and I are going to have you know kind of a fun debate um, among Jazz and Sixers fans. I'm sure you've already guessed what that's going to be, but we're going to talk about the uh, Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons Rookie of the Year debate. That will be point number one today. Then for point two, uh, this is something I actually talked about in detail on the jnotes.com recently, but I thought it was good enough of a topic and pertinent of a topic that I wanted to chat about it with you guys on my podcast as well. That's previewing uh, first-round playoff matchups for the Utah Jazz. A ton is still up in the air as far as where teams are going to land in the Western Conference standings. A lot of potential matchups the Jazz could have. I want to look at each one and talk about my thoughts, my preferences, uh, my concerns, and which ones I think will be the most favorable. So that'll be point two. Then, last of all, as I'm sure you're accustomed to, uh, for point three, I'll be looking at the week ahead. The Jazz are looking to make it 10 straight on Tuesday, 10 straight victories as they host the Atlanta Hawks. Then they'll hit the road to face Dallas, San Antonio, and Golden State. So it's going to be an important week, a fun week. Really looking forward to it. But without further ado, let's get started now with point one. I'll chat with Brandon Apter about Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell. Point one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the Pick Swap Podcast Three Point Threat Podcast crossover. My name is Brandon Apter of SportstalkPhilly.com and Sixerdelphia, and I'm joined by Jared Woodcox of J Notes, thejnotes.com, and the Three Point Threat Podcast. Jared, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, Brandon, it's my pleasure. Happy to do the show with you. How are things going for you? Uh, things are going really well, you know, even though we're recording on Monday night and the Sixers just came off a nice win against Charlotte. I'm excited to talk about something that's been on the minds of both of our team's fan bases for the majority of the season, you know, at least the second half of the season, which is the Ben Simmons and uh, Donovan Mitchell rookie of the year race. How are things going over in Jazzland? Oh, yeah, by the way. Jared is a writer for the jnotes.com, which is a Utah jazz site. Uh, make sure to check them out, the jnotes.com. So how, how have the jazz been doing? I know I've been following them a bit, but they've, they've really been rolling, pu- pushing up the Western Conference. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's a great time to be a jazz fan right now, Brandon. I mean, they've won 21 of the last 23 games. Um, you go back two months, um, and we looked like we were dead in the water. We were nine games below 500. Uh, you know, we, we weren't healthy. Rudy Gobert, we, we had him struggling with injuries. And all of a sudden, after a bad loss to the Hawks, we flipped a switch, and the Jazz have been absolutely incredible to watch. Um, you know, not just beating teams, but handily beating teams. And a lot of good teams in them that we've beat, the Spurs twice, you know, the Warriors, the Raptors, um, a lot of quality wins. And, and all of a sudden, the Jazz are in fifth place in the Western Conference, which no one could have seen coming back two months ago. So it's great. Yeah, and I think a lot of things that you mentioned about the Jazz obviously true, and and they have, you know, Donovan Mitchell, that number thirteen pick that nobody really saw coming, you know, the surprise of the draft and everything. So there's a lot of, to be excited about in Utah. One of the things that I'm curious about because I only follow like a select amount of Utah Jazz fans, which is new for me because, you know, I never followed them prior to the Donovan Mitchell era. You know, Rudy yeah. Gobert has always been a fun uh, big man to follow. But at least on the Sixers side of things, you know, Philadelphia, and this is in no way like a condescending thing towards. 
is Utah, but you know the city of Philadelphia. Never pleased. You know, they always want more. So they went through a slump in December. Um, and throughout this entire process, there has been a, you know, team of, of, of you know, Twitter people, fan, uh, fan base and everything like that, that have been wanting the head coach, Brett Brown, to get fired because he's unable to consistently, you know, coach a young team towards success. They just won their 39th game. But I'm curious on the Utah end of it, when they were going through a bit of a rough stretch, do the Utah Jazz faithful go through those stretches too, where they're just like, hey, let's get rid of the coach. He's not right. Do they have those like emotional takes from from what you've gathered? Honestly, with Quinn Snyder, no. I honestly think Quinn Snyder is, is extremely popular, almost in a Jerry Sloan type way, where through thick and thin, the fans absolutely love this guy. They kind of see him as the guy that, you know, took us out of the Ty Corbin era, era and, and got us relevant once again. And, I mean, you look at it, and we lost our two leading scorers from last year in both Gordon Hayward and George Hill. And for the Jazz to be relevant at all is just a testament to, to you know, what Quinn Snyder has done with the team. And a lot of us thought that really the Jazz were going to struggle this year. So even when they were going through that rough stretch in December, I think that fans knew that, you know, this isn't on Quinn. This is just we need to be patient with this team. We need to get healthy. And, and honestly, no, I've seen very few, if anybody, really calling for Quinn Snyder um, at, at all. He's been pretty well backed by Jazz fans throughout his tenure in Utah. Okay. Yeah, I was always curious about that. I know Philadelphia is that city that's always very hard on the players and the coaching staff. And I just wanted to know kind of what it was like out out in Utah. So it's good to hear that they back the team because again, it's a very exciting time for Utah Jazz fans because as you said prior, it's a surprise. You know, they're fifth seed in the West, Western Conference, a very, very good conference. And we're going to get to the Donovan Mitchell, Ben Simmons debate. But beyond Donovan Mitchell, who on the Jazz has kind of impressed you the most? And when you look at a team like the Sixers, you know, having Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, who's kind of a guy that you look to on them that might not be, you know, the standout, but who has impressed you this season? Yeah, honestly, there's a few people, uh, Brandon, and, and it's guys that have, I think have kind of flown under the radio, radar on a national stage. Uh, the first one is, is honestly uh, Rudy Gobert. And, you know, I have to say early in the season, I was a little nervous about him because he was coming off such a good 2016-17 year. Um, he was the runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year. But in the early part of the season, he just did not look like his old self. There was no chemistry between him and Ricky Rubio. Um, he didn't seem to have the same, um, you know, the same uh, rim protection that he that he had shown the year before. Just a lot of things that had me a little worried about him. And then obviously the injuries took him down a notch as well. But since coming back, you know, since leading the Jazz in their 11-game win streak and now in their nine-game winning streak, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, really, I think that he should be in the argument for defensive player of the year once again this year, even though he does have the missed games. Not saying he'll win it necessarily, but he's got to be in that conversation. And his offensive impact has gotten so much better, too. All of a sudden, him and Rubio are clicking. And that's really the next guy I, I would say for the Jazz is Ricky Rubio. Honestly, early in the year, especially when you looked at his, you know, his net rating and a lot of his more advanced stats, just the impact that he had on the Jazz was nothing but negative. There were a lot of Jazz fans. I mentioned they didn't call for Quinn Snyder's head. There were a ton of Jazz fans that were calling for Ricky Rubio's head. They wanted him traded. They weren't happy with, you know, how the team looked with him. Everybody was was kind of missing George Hill right, without right. maybe admitting it. Uh, but, but all of a sudden, Rubio has turned things around, and, and he's got the Jazz on the move. Uh, he, he's been great at running the offense. Um, all of a sudden, he's you know he's rebounding better than he's assisting on, on most nights, which is kind of interesting. And the last guy I'll bring up is, is Joe Ingles. 
And Joe Ingles oh, is yeah. quietly, yeah, he's quietly shooting the ball better from three than anybody in the league. Um, you know, he's starting to score more consistently, put up more shots, and he's an underrated defender too. He's been fun to watch, and he won't be in the conversation, but I do think there's an argument to be had for him as one of the most improved players in the league. He's been phenomenal. Yeah, I feel like Victor Oladipo has yeah. has like a rap on on that award. They they have one for each conference, though, right? No, I don't believe so. With no, most or that's just most improved overall. Yeah. Okay. But so the Pacers are my number two team, and, and so I follow them a lot too. And if anybody but Victor Oladipo wins most improved player, I'm going to riot. So I'll just agree with you there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I might join you with uh, pitchforks and blow torches on that one because <laughs> that go. guy's had quite the bounce back season, definitely. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I guess, you know, we'll share our opposing views, but from, from afar, I don't know how much Sixers basketball that you've gotten to follow or anything. What has impressed you most about a team that, you know, won 10 games two seasons ago, uh, and now are pushing, you know, 40, 42 wins and are working their way up the echelon in the Eastern conference. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously I don't watch as many Sixers games as as you do by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but there's a few things that have impressed me. One of those is honestly just a turnaround in culture. I know a lot of times when a team goes through tanking seasons, you worry about that, you know, kind of that uh, making when losing becomes the normal part of, of the game. You worry about them, you know, about being able to bounce back from that. I feel like the Sixers have bounced back and all of a sudden they look like they're playing with a winning culture. Um, it looks like they're having fun out there. It looks like they're, you know, playing winning basketball, which is a nice change. Also, you know, I've been really impressed, obviously, with Ben Simmons. I think we all know that he can be um, just an incredible talent in this league. But I've been happy to see uh, Joel Embiid stay healthy. And I'm going to knock on wood right now for all the Sixers fans out there. But I think (laughs) his return to to health and just how he's become a dominant player, um, you know, defensively and offensively has been absolutely phenomenal to watch. And then just the chemistry. I mean, you got guys there. I think Covington has improved a lot this year. Um, you have a, a veteran like Redick that, that's been a nice piece of that team. And it's just cool to see, like you said, a team that was so bad a couple of years ago, all of a sudden these young guys are budding. Uh, you have some nice veteran forces in there. And really, I feel like the team's coming together extremely well. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I completely agree with you for, with with most of the stuff that that you said regarding the Sixers. You know, I've had the opportunity to to watch a, a handful or two of of Jazz games, and again, it's just one. I mean, we've we've said it many many times. It's just a team that's surprised everybody. You know, Donovan Mitchell is the personality and the heart of that team. You know, he wears his heart on the sleeve. He's an extremely enthusiastic player. He has an infectious personality, and I think he's. You know, so many people say one of the reasons that he deserves to be rookie of the year or, you know, the favorite for now is that because he's relied on his team to do so much and he's taking, you know, he's taking those reins and not really ever hitting a rookie wall. You know, he'll have a couple day- games where he misses, you know, 10 or 11 shots. But I mean, if he's missing 10 or 11 shots one night, he's going to come back the next night and drop 25. So, um, I think Ricky Rubio has obviously done a lot to um, kind of reestablish himself as a player in the league because I think he was really falling out of favor in Minnesota over his final years there. Um, he's he's not necessarily comeback player of the year discussion kind of guy like an Ingles or an Oladipo, but I think it's worth recognizing that the change of scenery has been so good for him. And uh, I know we didn't, 
I can't recall off the top of my head, but all I know is that I want more Joel Embiid and Rudy, Rudy Gobert one-on-ones. You know, I hope years from now that we get a Utah Jazz, Philadelphia 76ers NBA Finals and can see those two big men, kind of like the cream of the crop of young big men, really take center stage and kind of go head-to-head. I think that would be a really, really good matchup. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, <laughs> um, so... Now that now I was kind of touch base on the teams in general and everything like that, we might as well just dive right into the rookie of the year talk because that's kind of why we're here, why we're doing this crossover podcast with Sports Talk Philly, Pick Swap Pod, and the J Notes, the Three Point Threat Podcast. Again, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. Uh, so now we're going to dive into the Ben Simmons donovan mitchell rookie of the year and jared and i talked prior to recording um a day ago and what we said is that we were going to try and give our cases for both players but first we're going to give our cases for the opposing players so do you do you want to go first and try to give your case for why ben simmons should be rookie of the year and then i'll debate you for donovan mitchell Sure. yeah sure thing the first thing i want to say though brandon is Really, you know, whether someone thinks that, that, that Ben Simmons should be Rookie of the Year or that Donovan Mitchell should be the Rookie of the Year, I don't have a problem with either opinion. Uh, the problem I do have is when people say that there's not an argument or that only one of them does, is in the right. conversation. And I think there's Jazz fans that are guilty of that with Mitchell, and there are Sixers fans that are guilty of that with Simmons. Really, this is a two-man race. Definitely, It's closely contested. Both of them have a great argument. So, you know, one way or the other, they're, they're both a great pick. They're both, you know, head and shoulders above other rookies in my mind. Um, at the end of the day, the, the only bad opinion is, is to think that one of them doesn't have a case. So I'll start with that. Let, let me let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, but what I've seen is that a lot of people, you know, the the overarching argument is that Simmons or that Donovan Mitchell is a scorer. Simmons does everything else. You know, that's what you see everywhere, yeah. whether it's, you know, f- statistically true or not. You know, we'll dive into that in a little bit. But one thing that I've seen from a few jazz fans, and I'm not sure if you agree with it or not, but, you know, obviously the two players have two different personalities. Is there anything about Simmons character that you kind of see as douchey? You know, I I think a lot of people find his cocky confidence as more of like a he's being a douche and he's all about himself sort of thing. So I guess uh, before you made your case, I wanted to see what your opinion was on kind of like the personalities of both guys yeah yeah no so honestly uh i don't agree with that to be to be frank with you i think a lot of that comes from i don't know if you saw the interview over all-star weekend where um you know some of the reporters asked simmons about donovan mitchell and about the rookie of the year race and it seemed like simmons kind of didn't want to talk about it he kind of brushed it off i think some of it comes from that honestly i mean what do you expect him to say? Do you want him to be like, oh yeah, look, I, I'm I'm not worthy of rookie of the year. It should be Mitchell. He's not going to say that, and he, and he shouldn't say that, you know, per se. I think that uh, deep down they both realize that the other one is, is a great talent, but also deep down they both want to win it. So sometimes that cocky side, I I would rather call it a competitive side, is going to come out. Um, right. But I don't really see that in Simmons. Now I will say, um, you know, I think Mitchell may be a little more humble than, than Simmons, and not that there's a wrong yeah. way or a right way there. But I think that maybe I definitely jazz, agree with you with that. Yeah, one. Yeah. I, I think jazz fans just kind of lean on that is, you know, Mitchell's their guy. He's really humble. He's really down to earth. He's shocked that he's even in the NBA right now, let alone, you know, fighting for rookie of the year. So they definitely have different personalities. But to say that I think that Simmons is a douchey guy or that he's overly cocky. 
I don't buy that. That's not how I feel about him. Okay. All right. So, so now what we're going to do is kind of dive into uh, each of the players. And I, and I know I cut you off uh, prior to getting into your arguments here, but uh, why, why don't we first both give our cases for why Ben Simmons should be rookie of the year. And we'll start with you. Okay. And then we'll come and then we'll go back and forth. Yeah. So, you know, my biggest thing is really Ben Simmons is extremely well-rounded. And I think, like you said, that's kind of been the biggest argument. I mean, the guy can score, the guy can rebound, the guy can assist. He's a triple double threat every single night. And and he's a guy that's really hard to guard because, you know, he he's big, but he still plays more of a guard position. Obviously he's not your traditional power forward. Um, He he's, he's transcendent in that he can do pretty much everything for you. You know, you look at a lot of his stats as far as, you know, I know people like to criticize that he's not a three-point shooter. Um, but then again, if he's putting up points, why do you care how he's doing it? You know, Rudy Gobert's not yeah. a three-point shooter, and Jazz fans are obsessed with him. I mean, different positions and different players are going to play the game, whatever fits their strengths. I always, yeah, I always see the narrative. I always see the narrative that Ben Simmons isn't a shooter, but he's a scorer. There's, there's two, there's a difference between the two, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, Donovan Mitchell is a better shooter um, but I think he's also a scorer in his own way. I mean, he's not just a guy that's chucking up shots, which is sometimes the negative narrative about Donovan Mitchell. He really isn't just a shot chucker. I mean, he can get to the rim. He can be explosive. He can create his own shot. A lot of his poor shooting nights come from the fact that, you know, the Jazz don't have a guy they can rely on to bail him out of late clock situations. So all of a sudden, with three seconds left on the shot clock, they're giving the ball to Mitchell and hoping he can chuck up a prayer and make it. That's not really on him. That's the fact that it's a young team and he's their best offensive player. So that, I mean, sorry, I'm kind of going off our agenda here a little bit, but no, it's okay. That kind of is one thing about Mitchell is that I feel like he, yes, he's a better shooter than, than, uh, than Simmons, you know, for as far as a three point shooter and a deep ball threat, things like that. But he's also a versatile scorer and he's not as bad of a shot chucker as some people like to think he is. Uh, But going back to Simmons, I think that he has the ability to, you know, be a little bit more dangerous as far as if he gets in the paint, he has a ton of ways that he can that he can uh, he can punish you. He can beat you. And he's just so crafty and so good at what he does. Yeah. And and you raise a lot of good points. I think one of the biggest things that that at least Sixers fans go to is that like, hey, Mitchell went 10 of 21 from the floor. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's one of those things where people compare the exact statistics rather than looking at how each of them play their games. John, Donovan Mitchell is relied on to score. That's that's his job, mm-hmm. and he does that very well. That's why he has a lower field goal percentage because because he takes shots that are of higher rate of missing. You know, he takes more shots than Simmons per game by about four or five, uh, and he takes them mid range and three pointers. So obviously, Simmons of his the majority of his are coming, you know, two point baskets in the paint. One of the top guys uh, with points in the paint in the NBA this season. You know, it's tough to just look at field goal percentage and see the whole story. Donovan Mitchell is the guy for Utah, and I think that's what a lot of people on the Philadelphia side don't. You know, it's what they fail to recognize, really, yeah. um, how much Mitchell is kind of putting, you know, on his back. And and that's what I like about the guy so much is that, I mean, he's leading a team and he, he it's like it doesn't even phase him. Um, 
you know, quickest rookie to hit 153s um, for the first time since Damian Lillard a few years ago. 63 games and 153 is like, that's impressive. Most three-pointers for an NBA player through their first 25 games, 61 three-pointers. And he's the first rookie since Larry Bird to lead his team in scoring and win 40 games in a season. So there are a lot of people that compare the record to when Rudy Gobert was out with injury and then he comes back and they go on the winning streak. Um, and I and I think it goes hand in hand. Mitchell is not a good a player, not as good a player as he would be without Gobert on the floor. And it's the same case with Simmons and Joel Embiid. And that's, a, that's the argument that kind of frustrates me is when people are just like, Ben Simmons is not as good without Joel Embiid on the court. Well, that's not really the point. Ben Simmons is not the Donovan Mitchell of his team. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And a few things you touched on there, you know, obviously, you know, when you just look at field goal percentage, Donovan Mitchell's is lower. Um, and that, like exactly what you said, is because he's taking the threes. When you look at their effective field goal percentage, it's a lot closer. And then their true shooting percentage, obviously I know that Ben Simmons, his woes from the free throw line have kind of hurt him there. But their true, their true yeah. shooting percentage is almost identical. Um, so that, that's kind of interesting and, and a better way to put it into perspective. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have argued, you know, jazz fans have argued that, Hey, look, well, you know, Ben Simmons, you know, wouldn't have as good of a team and, and wouldn't be where he is without Joel Embiid. And while that's true at the same time, you look at the jazz and yes, Mitchell kept us afloat during a terrible month of December uh, when Gobert was injured. But the Jazz wouldn't be where they're at either without Rudy Gobert. So you kind of have matching um, analogies there where, you know, Simmons and Mitchell are both incredible players. They're the two best rookies in the league by a long shot. But in a lot of ways, they, they are carrying a big load for both of their respective teams. But neither one of them is doing it alone. I think that's important to realize that just like Embiid makes Simmons better, Gobert makes Mitchell better. And so it, it's almost like they cancel each other out, that you can't really say that one is doing more than the other in that regard because they both have great teammates that are all-star caliber uh, that are helping them be so effective. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I and I think it's one of those things, too, where, um, you know, the true shot percentages that I, w- I was doing stuff on uh, doing a piece on, on Ben Simmons last week. The one thing keeping Ben Simmons from being elite is the fourth quarter. And you see Donovan Mitchell is one of the hot leading scorers in the NBA this season in the fourth quarter, yeah. while Ben Simmons has kind of had an issue, um, you know, remaining aggressive in the fourth quarter. He becomes a little bit more passive, especially when his team's down double digits. So, you know, that's one of the issues that that I find in the argument, at least, uh, you know, I'm putting myself in a hole with Sixers fans here. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's very important and can be looked at in a rookie of the year race. You know, those clutch moments and everything like that. When you see a clutch moment, Donovan Mitchell has the ball in his hands. When you th- see a clutch mo- moment for Philadelphia, more often than not, the ball is going to be in Joel Embiid's hands. Yes, no, I, I um, agree. And I'd say, you know, Mitchell does kind of have that killer instinct. And, you know, he has had really bad shooting nights. Uh, one game that stands out to me, I don't remember the exact date of it, but it was early in the year against the Clippers where he had an absolutely horrible shooting night, then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter he couldn't miss. So he just has the ability to put, you know, matter no matter how bad the game's been going for him in the first three quarters, he can just put it behind him. He can come back and be sensational. Uh, the other night it was same way. He had two points in the first half, then came back and had 25 points in the second half. You know, he has those kind of things where, sure, we'd like him to be great all game long, but in the clutch he's he's been awesome. And, and just real quick about Ben Simmons, I think the one major thing that hurts him, and I touched on a little bit before, 
is his free throw shooting. You know, there have been teams that have been resorting to, to yeah. hack a Simmons um, to get him to the line. And if he's going to become a superstar, which I think he will, uh, I really do. But that's an area where he's got to improve. And soon, I'd say this summer, that's going to be a huge point of emphasis for him. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. That's that's one of those things I know I've heard Brett Brown say a lot of times that, you know, Ben Simmons is a jump, or sh- jump shot away, at least from um, – you know, becoming a superstar in this league. And I think one of the things, especially at his frame that he needs to do more of is he's, if he's going to be aggressive, he needs to drive to the hoop and get fouled so he can go to the line. But when you're shooting in the fifties percent wise, uh, from, from the free throw line, you know, obviously you're not going to be as aggressive if you don't think that you're going to get those points. Instead, you're going to find an open teammate and hope that they make the basket from there. But I mean, just, just looking at, like the deeper statistics, you know, we're not talking about, um, you know, points per game, assists per game, you know, everybody kind of knows who's winning those categories and everything like that. Uh, their defensive ratings are very close. Simmons at a 105, Mitchell at a 104. Offensive ratings, uh, Simmons at a 109, Mitchell with a 103. Uh, and then their net rating in general, Simmons with a 0.1 edge, 5.2 to 5.1. So it's one of those things where they both affect the game in many different ways. But one of the stats that I'm not sure if you looked into, and it's a, and it's a more advanced one, but the offensive and defensive box plus minuses, and then the box plus minuses, you got Simmons at a 3.7, and you have Mitchell at a minus 1.1, primarily because on the defensive end, Simmons is now you know, considered by a lot of people as an elite defender. When it comes to Donovan Mitchell, and I, you know, I haven't watched enough jazz games to really judge defensively what he does but is that one area where he needs to improve in order to become a player that's you know very very good year after year all-star in the future i'd say i say short answer yes he does need to improve there but he also has all the tools and he's a better defender than people give him credit for i think he has the potential to be an elite defender um, a lot of people have kind of compared him to like a damian lillard type but that can, that plays defense and, you know, he he's great at steals. That's something he's always prided himself in defense when he was in college. A lot of it, I think, is just him getting accustomed to the NBA game. Um, obviously, his size, he's a little bit undersized. Um, and once he kind of gets, you know, his feet underneath him, uh, gets even more accustomed to Quinn Snyder's system, I think that he can be an extremely good defender. And I think he's on the right trajectory to become that right now. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, we've mentioned it a few times before, but both of these guys have really, really bright futures ahead of them. And it should be really, really fun to watch them develop. Um, you know, S- Simmons overall, he's the guy that's going to fill up the stat sheet, whether it's scoring, passing, rebounding your defense. Uh, do you buy anything into the Simmons has had a full year in the league with NBA equipment, NBA coaches, you know, being around a team uh, as, you know, a hindrance for a rookie of the year candidacy? So I'm probably going to be different than a lot of jazz fans on this one because they bring it up a lot. I, I absolutely hate using that as an excuse that, oh, well, well, Mitch or excuse me, Simmons should not qualify because he's he's a red shirt rookie or he has a, he's had an extra year to learn. You know, there's probably some things, obviously, that he picked up being around the team and being able to, you know, work out with the with his NBA team and everything like that that have helped him. But to say that that makes him, you know, not be worthy of being the rookie of the year, not or not qualifying for rookie of the year, I think it's just ludicrous. It's his first year suiting up for the team. He's still a rookie. There's plenty of rookies that have missed, you know, their first year because of injury or because they were playing overseas or whatever it is that have come in and they've been a rookie. 
there's no reason why Ben Simmons shouldn't be uh, shouldn't qualify for Rookie of the Year. I, I absolutely hate that argument. I think it's dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people were using that too when Embiid, even though he only played a, a you know part of the year uh, for for Rookie of the Year, that you know he's been in the league for pretty much two years and now actually is playing so it'll be interesting to see when it comes you mentioned earlier in the in the podcast that rudy gobert should be considered for defensive player of the year i completely agree with you uh but i think that games played thing plays a large part in in what the the league ends up voting for something like that it does. I mean, I think that's the reason why Embiid didn't win Rookie of the Year last year. I think we all know that is because of, of missed games. I mean, no disrespect to, to Malcolm Brogdon, um, but you I can think you can disrespect him. Of, that was an underwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think he's a good player, uh, but at the end of the day, we all know that Embiid is better, and that it just came down to the fact that people felt like it, and I understand it, but people felt like Embiid didn't play enough games yeah. to surpass him, and so I, I mean, I get it. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I think at that point, at least last year, a lot of people thought Dario Saric should have uh, been considered for the award. And a lot of people didn't consider him a rookie because he had been playing uh, with a very highly regarded Euro team for two years before coming over to, to Philadelphia. And he had a, you know, he had, I thought he had a strong chance to win it because he had a very, very good second half. But, you know, mm-hmm. Malcolm Brogdon tallied up to another under- underwhelming rookie of the year, the last one since Michael Carter Williams with the Sixers years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, recapping kind of what we've talked about um, when it comes to rookie of the year, uh, we've talked about Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, one of the stats that I didn't even look at until today because I was trying to do research on both guys so I didn't sound Philly biased. And I feel like I've given Donovan Mitchell more credit than I have Ben Simmons in this podcast. So I'm sorry, Sixers people, but I did my research. (laughs) And um, the one stat that I really was impressed by with Donovan Mitchell is that over the, he's got the fourth most 25 point games over the, uh, over the past 20 seasons. And that's behind LeBron who's had 24 Blake Griffin has had 28 and Mello has had thirties 30 and he's had 23. I think that's as a rookie fourth, most 25 point games over the past 20 seasons as a rookie and Mitchell's at 23 and, and that's some company to be in. Um, so, and, and, and again, uh, I have a, another question for you and might as well ask a, a, another argument that I see against Ben Simmons is that, uh, he plays in an easier conference, and I did some digging on that today and found out that Donovan Mitchell actually, although it's an 11-game difference, um, has worse stats against the weaker Eastern Conference than he does against the Western Conference, which is obviously good because he's had better shooting statistics from the floor and three-point range against the West, which has the Warriors, the Rockets, you know, the Clippers, a lot of those top teams over there. And, uh, you know, it dips about five points for overall field goal percentage and, you know, uh, not not that much for three-point percentage. But do you buy into that at all when it comes to the race, you know, in terms of the opposition that they both have to face? I mean, I think it does a little bit um, just in the fact that, I mean, you look at the Western Conference standings right now. And for example, you know, seeds five, six, seven, and eight are all tied or within a half game of each other. And then, you know, they're playing the Rockets and the Warriors who are head and shoulders, the best two teams in the league, in my mind, um, three or four times a year. Uh, but then again, you know, the, the East has been, I think, 
if you take away the Rockets and the Warriors, for one, I feel like the East has been a lot more similar to the West this year. I mean, the West bottom feeders are, are bad. I mean, you got teams like the Grizzlies and the Suns that teams in the West and the East are just beating up on, you know, um, in the in the East. It's kind of similar, but I feel like the West bad teams are just as bad there. In a nutshell, um, I think there is an argument to be had on that, uh, but I don't think it's as big of a deal as people make it out to be, I guess you could say. Um, and you look at the two records right now, one thing that's been said a lot about Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons, you know, especially early in the year when the Jazz were struggling, people would say that, you know, Ben Simmons is leading a team with a better record, um, whereas Mitchell's just a good player on a bad team. Right. Well, now all of a sudden the Jazz actually have a better record than the Sixers, so I feel like it kind of takes away that argument. Well, the only and, the only issue with that is that the Sixers have played one less game, 39 and 30, yep, 40 yeah, and 30. I mean, I mean, they're right there. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm yeah. not trying to say that their oh, record's yeah, yeah. crazy better. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but uh, I guess to me it's just um, when they're in the different conferences, obviously they're going to be facing different teams, different number of times and all that. But at the end of the day, it's it's more the impact. To me, it's more the impact they have on their team and where they where they take their team as individuals that, that matters most. <laughs> okay, before we make our uh, official Rookie of the Year predictions, uh, the Jazz with 12 games remaining – um, they have half of them at home, half of them on the road. They still got two to go against the Warriors. They play Portland in their final game. They got the Spurs one more time, the Clippers and the Timberwolves upcoming on the schedule. Um, ideally for you, obviously you want to go 12 and 0. who wouldn't want to go 12 and 0? but realistically for them, yeah. where do you think that they finish over their final 12 games? And ideally what seed would you like to see them end up in? We know it would like to be first, but realistically I'm speaking. Yeah. So, um, you know, I do think that they have a realistic shot to get the four seed. Um, it's going to be extremely hard and they'll need the thunder to slip a little bit. That would kind of be my dream. Uh, realistically though, if I, if I had to put money on it, I think the jazz are going to finish fifth or sixth and probably sixth just cause you know, they have had this nice run, you know, they've played uh, five lottery teams in a row, or, or I guess when they play the Hawks on Tuesday, that'll be five lottery teams in a row. Um, and then, and, but then things get a little bit tougher for them from there. Um, I think they're going to struggle against, you know, the, the Timberwolves will be a tough game. They got the Clippers coming up, uh, the Celtics, the Spurs, the Blazers, as you mentioned, will be tough games. This might surprise you, but I actually would not be surprised if the Jazz beat the Warriors in, in their two games left. And I say that one because the one this week, Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson aren't playing. And then the last one of the year, um, there's a very good chance that the Warriors will be locked into second place and they could rest players. If that's the case, I could see the Jazz winning those two games. Honestly, I think they are going to go eight and four over these last 12 games and they're going to finish in either fifth or sixth. That's where I have it. Um, and, And your rookie of the year prediction. Well, as much as I want it to be Donovan Mitchell, and I think he has a very strong case, especially with how he's helped the Jazz with this turnaround, I really do think at the end of the day, Ben Simmons is going to win it. Um, And that's not to say, you know, I think he's 100% deserving of it. I also think it does help him to be in a bigger market. I think that's just the reality of the league, too. I think he gets a lot more eyeballs on him on a nightly basis. Um, The triple doubles are, are a pretty, you know, sexy thing right now. We talk about, you know, uh, the Russell Westbrook triple doubles. Whenever LeBron James gets one, it's it's a big deal. And triple doubles are kind of a hot topic right now. And Ben Simmons is fantastic at them. So I think all these things adding up, and especially if the Sixers do end up with a better record than the Jazz, I think that Ben Simmons is probably going to be the one to win it. Yeah. Um, and just looking ahead for the Sixers schedule, they have 14 games remaining now, or 13 games remaining now uh, at 39 and 30. Or 14, I might be doing the math wrong. 
it's late. Don't blame <laughs> me. Um, but uh, their next game against the Grizzlies, they play the Orlando Magic. Um, the Knicks, they play the Hawks twice. They play Charlotte again. They play Brooklyn again. They play Dallas. Um, they only play two more Eastern Conference playoff teams the rest of the way, and that's April 6th against Cleveland and April 11th against Milwaukee. And with how tight the Sixers playoff race is in the Eastern Conference, you know, they entered Monday night prior to their win against the Hornets. Um, you know, only a game and a half behind Cleveland for the third seed. So ideally, I'd like them to slip into the fourth seed so they can host a first game playoff series, because I think that's where they'd, I you know, have the best chance to win, uh, you know, win a playoff series. But um, with the majority of their schedule coming at home, I think it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight of their final 14 games at home. Um you know, it's it's one of those things where you know if they if they win, I w- I wouldn't be surprised if they go ten and four over the final fourteen. Yeah, I mean so, they're they're playing well. I could definitely see it. Um. So uh, yeah, and I was gonna go with you again with. You know, I, I really like Donovan Mitchell, and I think it's a two-man race. There are a lot of people that will probably kill me for saying that because, you know, Ben Simmons, if you just look at the stats beyond scoring, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where um, to a lot of people it's not an argument. Uh, and you mentioned how triple-doubles and double-doubles are sexy. You know, Ben Simmons just got his ninth. Uh, he has like he, he has nearly 30 double-doubles, so it, it shows you how he affects the game. And I think when push comes to shove, that Donovan Mitchell aspect of scoring, like that's that's also a very sexy thing. People love the 40-point games and, and the high scoring and everything like that. And I think that's why a lot of people uh, fail sometimes fail to realize that even though Ben Simmons doesn't have a jump shot, he affects the game in so many different ways. Um, you know, he, he's being, you know, put up in, in, in records, but record books with magic Johnson and Oscar Robertson with the amount of triple doubles that he's had. Um, but you know, both of our guys, uh, three time rookies of the month, uh, breaking records, like it's nobody's business and leading teams to the playoffs. So, I mean, I'm going to go with Ben Simmons as well, but I'm really excited to see these two develop. Um, Jared, I'm very happy that we got a chance to uh, chat about the Jazz and the Sixers, Simmons and and Mitchell. Uh, again, thank thanks everybody for listening. Um, make sure to give us both a follow on Twitter. Jared is over with thejnotes.com. Uh, you can follow them at the J Notes, and you can follow his podcast, the three the three point threat podcast at three p threat prod podcast. That's a tongue twister. Yeah, tongue it, gets, twister. it gets me sometimes too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so make sure to to give them a follow, and of course, uh, Brandon Apter here with SportstalkPhilly.com and the Pick Swap podcast. You can give me a follow at B Apter twenty three. Jared is at at Jared Woodcox. Um, Jared, thanks uh, for doing this crossover, and I'm looking forward to seeing how our teams, um, you know, do over the final stretch here. Yeah, agreed. Thanks, Brandon, and I agree we have two uh, superstars on our hands, regardless of which one wins Rookie of the Year. It's going to be fun to see them both develop. Point two. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that discussion. You know, I, I think the one thing that I just I just can't say enough is that both Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell are such. Um, are such incredible talents and both of them deserve you know 
tons of recognition and tons of praise for what they're doing in their rookie seasons. We'll be excited to see what eventually comes of that rookie of the year race uh, down the season stretch. So, you know, for point number two, as I mentioned in the intro, I wanted to take a look at the potential playoff matchups that Jazz could face in the first round of the playoffs. Obviously, they're not a shoe-in yet for the playoffs. Things are looking good. There's a bit of a cushion as the Nuggets and Clippers have slid a little bit. But the Jazz are still going to have to play extremely good basketball to close out the year to, to make the playoffs and be in a good position. And really, with the way things are... Um, you know, there, there's actually nine potential teams that Utah could face in the first round. Some of those are obviously more likely than others. Um, but depending on how teams do, how which teams get hot, which teams slump, there there are still nine teams in the West. Really, any of the other teams, um, you know, one through ten, the Jazz could face. And right now, you know, as of this recording, there's just four and a half games separating the fourth and tenth seed in the West, uh, which is pretty crazy. It just shows how really compact it is and how closely, you know, how, how closely contested the playoff spots are going to be in the West. So let's start, you know, towards the bottom um, of the Western Conference standings and, and see who the Jazz could still face. I'm going to start with the Denver Nuggets. Obviously, this one is not all that likely to happen just because, you know, quite frankly, I don't think the Nuggets are going to make the playoffs at the end of the day. Um, they've kind of started to slide. They have a lot of road games left where they haven't been very good. But say the Nuggets, you know, go on a hot streak and the Jazz, you know, stay where they are essentially or move up a little bit. There's a chance that the, the Nuggets and Jazz could face off as a 4-5 seed or as a 3-6, you know, under certain circumstances. Again, not super likely, but let, let's just still look at it. And as of right now, um, you know, you look at the regular season series, it, it's 2-2. Two to two. The Nuggets actually own the tiebreaker due to the fact that they hold the better divisional record. Um, the Jazz have two games left against the division. The Nuggets have four games left against the division, so the Jazz could potentially still pull ahead um, and get that tiebreaker, but probably not all that likely. Um, my thought on this one is if the Jazz were, were to get to play the Nuggets, I'd love this matchup. You know, I, I think not only with the Nuggets struggling, I feel like the Jazz actually match up really well against them, despite the two losses during the regular season. The Nuggets' backcourt, um, you know, Gary Harris and, and Jamal Murray, they're solid, they're really good. Um, but I just, there's no one on that Nuggets team, you know, that, that really scares me that much. Not even, you know, veteran Paul Millsap or Nikola Jokic, who obviously is a fantastic player. But I think you just look across the board and, you know, if the Jazz don't have the advantage, they have it somewhere else or they have it in other ways where they would have a significant edge over Denver. Um, you know, especially I think that the one big thing about Denver is, is they're still not a great defensive team. I think that would really hurt them in the playoffs. Um, I also think the Jazz are significantly deeper than the Nuggets, um, which would obviously help come playoff time. And the fact of the matter is the Nuggets haven't proven that they can win on the road. They haven't proven that they can win in high-pressure situations, high-stakes situations. So if they were to go on a little bit of a surge and make the playoffs and the Jazz were lucky enough to play them in the first round, again, not very likely. But if it were to happen, it would be a matchup that I would absolutely love. I would feel very confident about Utah's chances of winning their first-round series if it was against the Nuggets. Uh, next one is, is the Clippers, kind of a similar boat as the Nuggets. You know, it's not very likely that they're going to make the playoffs at this point. Um, well, I mean, they still have a decent shot just considering how close everything is. But even if they do make it, it's, it's even less likely that they will end up playing the Jazz in the first round because just the way that the, the seeding would, would have to break out because of that. Um, the Jazz are up 2-1 to one in the regular season on the Clippers, so, so they have that tiebreaker. They play one more time on April 5th. And so that game could be real important for the Jazz to, you know, officially take the tiebreaker from the Clippers, depending on how things go. Um, the Clippers have a really tough schedule to close out the year, and that's a big reason why I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, you know, adding that to where they sit in the standings right now. But you never know. You know, they have really surprised me this year. I thought when they traded Blake Griffin away, I thought the Clippers were more or less throwing in the towel and saying, hey, look, we know we're not going to be as good. 
Um, but we're gonna we're gonna try to build more for the future. But they've been really good, and, and I've always been a big fan of Tobias Harris. I think he's an awesome, awesome underrated player, and I'm happy to see him continue to do well. Uh, really like Lou Williams. You know, there's things I like about the Clippers, uh, but again, they just they just don't really scare me. I mean, the Jazz were able to beat them last year in the postseason with I, I don't even think arguably with a team that was better um, on the Clippers side. I mean, it was a better Clippers team last year, and so this year I, I would feel even more confident about Utah's chances. One big reason why I would like their chances is simply because I feel like Quinn Snyder can outcoach Doc Rivers. I think we saw that last year. You could argue the Clippers certainly had a more superior team, you know, talent-wise. Um, they were the higher seed, um, and, and so there was a lot of reasons why many people picked the Clippers to win that series. But at the end of the day, I feel like Snyder really outcoached Doc Rivers, and I think we could see that again this year if these two were to meet. Um, you know, DeAndre Jordan's a force to reckon with, but I, I feel confident that Rudy Gobert could outmatch him. Um, really, again, up and down looking at depth and looking up and down the rosters, I feel like the Jazz would just have a significant advantage. So if something, if the stars align and the Jazz do play the Clippers um, in the first round of the playoffs, that would be that would be great. I'd be totally fine with that matchup. So now we take a look at teams five through eight that are in the Western Conference standings. And as of this recording, um, it's really a jumbled mess between those teams right now. Every single one of them is 40 and 30, uh, with the exception of the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are 40 and 31. So they're right there. You know, all four of these teams are just as neck and neck as you could be with plenty of shuffling, you know, capable of happening. Uh, the Jazz have the tiebreaker over the Pelicans and the Spurs. Uh, they have the individual tiebreaker over both of them, I should say, as well as the head-to-head -head against all three, obviously. So that's why the Jazz are in fifth place right now amongst them. But beginning with the Timberwolves, who are currently in eighth place, this is a matchup that, you know, it's not my favorite one and it's not my least favorite one. I'm kind of in the middle about it. The big wild card for me is Jimmy Butler. I think that's pretty obvious. You know, he remains adamant that he wants to return uh, for the postseason. And maybe he does. Who knows how healthy he is if he does return. Maybe he'll return um, kind of prematurely and Tibbs will run him ragged like uh, Coach Thibodeau is known to do. I don't know any about any, any of that. Um, but Jimmy Butler's return could make this a whole different animal as far as how I feel about facing the Wolves. Um, right now, Minnesota is up 2-1 to one on the Jazz in the regular season. But even if uh, the Wolves lose the rest of their divisional games and the Jazz win all of theirs, Utah still can't get the better divisional record. Uh, so the Wolves are going to have the tiebreaker on this one, guys. That's, that's almost a guarantee. The only exception would be if there's a three-way tie and Utah has the better record in that head-to-head. For example, you know, if Utah sweeps San Antonio, so they get four wins um, against them in San Antonio, Minnesota, and the Jazz were all to tie, um, there's a chance there that the Jazz could have the three-way head-to-head tiebreaker and thus finish ahead of Minnesota. Um, but if it just comes down to Utah and Minnesota have the same record, the Timberwolves are going to have the tiebreaker. So really, you know, that game on April 1st, I think, is still important, obviously, as far as as far as, you know, the Jazz need all the wins they can get. And moving up into standings is going to be critical however they can get it. But as far as getting that tiebreaker back, that's not really at play because of the divisional records between the two teams. Um, but like I say, if the Jazz and Wolves face each other in the playoffs, it's going to depend a lot on the health of Jimmy Butler. And, and if he's playing and if he's at full strength, this one really does scare me. I think that the Wolves can cause some problems for the Jazz. Um, obviously, Carl Anthony Towns offensively has caused problems for the Jazz. Um, Butler, I don't even need to say it. I mean, he's an all-star. He's a fantastic player. There's not really anyone that the Jazz have that can match up with him per se. Um, so the Wolves scare me in that regard. If Jimmy Butler is out and if he's not playing in the first round, suddenly I really like this matchup for the Jazz. 
Um, and you know what? The Wolves have not been spectacular without Jimmy Butler, so they're still in danger of maybe slipping. I mean, like I said, they are in eighth place right now, albeit by the narrowest of margins. But if they slide, there's still a chance they could fall out of the playoffs. I don't think that will happen. Like I said, I think that Denver and L.A. are going to be the two teams eventually on the outside looking in. But it's still a possibility. Um, I'd say I prefer the Wolves over the Spurs, the Thunder, or the Blazers. Um, but they, they still, I guess I, they still worry me just a little bit. Um, the one thing about the Wolves, though, that I think the Jazz have a significant edge is their bench. Obviously, bench play has not been that good for the Wolves all season long. And again, without Jimmy Butler, uh, the Timberwolves have not had a good defense. And so I really feel like the Jazz could you know, lock them down as well as um, thrive on offense against them. Um, the last matchup against the Jazz and the Wolves was obviously very chippy. That was the one where Carl uh, Anthony Towns got ejected from the game after getting two technical fouls. Ricky Rubio was body checked into the front row by Jeff Teague. Um, so I think that game on April 1st is going to be a lot of fun. And it also could have you know a lot of significance as far as setting the stage for maybe a fun playoff series. And if these two do meet in the playoffs, it's going to be a fun series. Like I said, if, if Butler is in, though, I think that it's, it's evenly matched. It could go either way. If he's out, I feel really confident the Jazz win this one. And so I, w- I would be okay with that series as well. Um, next would be the Spurs. Um, they're, they're currently in seventh place right now. And the Spurs are kind of a weird animal this year, guys, because you know the Jazz have beat them all three times they've played. Um, obviously, they play one more time this week. We'll talk about that in point three today. Um, really, even though the Jazz own the tiebreaker over the Spurs, um, it's still important for them to get the win, not only for obviously just their, their overall record, but because if the Jazz can earn an extra win over the Spurs and there's any sort of three-way tie, as I talked about, um, having an additional win over San Antonio would be huge for that three-way tie situation. Um, even though the Jazz have matched up well against the Spurs this year, I, I still don't think this is a team we want to face in the playoffs. You know, I think that is for obvious reasons. Um, I mean, Greg Popovich, the experience of these guys um, having played in the playoffs so many times, and even though the Jazz have played well against San Antonio this year, um, they're not going to be a pushover in the playoffs without a doubt. The other reason why this matchup would be a little bit worrisome is, is obviously because of Kawhi Leonard. He's still a question mark right now. Um, honestly, guys, this is one of the weirdest stories um, in the NBA to me this year because Kawhi Leonard has been such a question mark. You know, he was rumored to return. Um, you know, against the the Pelicans in the in the most recent game between the Spurs and the Pelicans, but then that was called off shortly beforehand, and now we're not sure what his return date's going to be. If Kawhi comes back and he can pretty quickly um, return back to being the old Kawhi Leonard, this is going to be a scary team uh, for the Jazz. I mean, it's a team that went to the Western Conference Finals last year, and in Game One, while Kawhi was playing, they looked like they had the Warriors by the throat. Of course, we all know that Kawhi went down to injury, and, and the rest is history from there. But this could be a very scary team if Kawhi is back and, and fully healthy. I guess I would say, you know, kind of similar with with Minnesota. If Kawhi is out. No matter how good the, the Spurs play to end the year, and no matter, you know, even if they win the last game against the Jazz um, in the regular season, I still think the Jazz could win a playoff series against them, you know, without Kawhi. If Kawhi's in there, I get a little bit more nervous. I, I don't know that I like this one, you know. I know we've matched up well against the, the Spurs, like I said, this year, but with Kawhi in action, that adds a new dynamic, and the Jazz don't have a star, you know, a star small forward. No, no offense to Joe Ingles, the greatest of them all, but the Jazz don't have a star, a star uh, small forward that can really match up and contain Kawhi um, like we may need him to. So that's what worries me about the Spurs. Um, again, I would take them over the, the next couple teams I'm going to talk about. Uh, well, a few of them anyway. Um, but I, I would rather play the Wolves or the, the Nuggets or the Clippers ahead of the Spurs for sure. 
Next team is the Pelicans, and uh, I kind of misspoke, I guess, um, talking about the Spurs because the Pelicans, honestly, is my favorite matchup that the Jazz could realistically have. Um, I, as much as I think the, the Nuggets or the Clippers would be a nice first-round opponent, um, I don't see that happening. But there is a chance that the Jazz and Pelicans could face off in the first round. And if they do, I absolutely love that matchup for the Utah Jazz. I think it's the most favorable option for them. They won the regular season series 3-1. to one. Um, You know, the way things are, are lining up right now, there's actually a decent chance that, you know, the Jazz could could possibly be the four seed and the Pelicans could be the five seed. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen, especially if Oklahoma City keeps playing as well as they have been, but that's a possibility. And if that were to happen, that would be my dream scenario. You know, with the Jazz having home court, you know, the play against the Pelicans that I feel like they match up very favorably against. I know they have Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis causes a lot of problems for teams, including for the Jazz. But I also feel like the Jazz have the best possible answer for Anthony Davis in a guy named Rudy Gobert. Um, really, you know, I think last game was the perfect example. I mean, Anthony Davis was just killing Rudy Gobert early in the game. And I know Ifron was like, man, we got to get Rudy going if we're going to have any chance to win this. All of a sudden in the fourth quarter, Rudy Gobert stepped up, ended up having a good offensive game. But even more important, he held Anthony Davis scoreless in the final quarter. And, you know, Derek Favors also has had success on Anthony Davis in, in the past. So I think in a seven-game series, uh, we, we really find a way to grind him down. And, you know, Drew Holiday's another dangerous guy. Rondo's been playing pretty well. So the Pelicans have some good players. Um, but again, no one outside of Davis scares me that much. And I feel like the Jazz have that answer for Davis. And then you go to the bench, and I feel like the Jazz have a clear advantage. Again, in a playoff series against the Pelicans, I'm picking the Jazz big time. I really think that would be the best possible matchup they could get um, in the first round. Um, next team, Oklahoma City. I'm not going to sugarcoat this one, and I know that this has been a hot topic on Twitter lately, you know, whether the Jazz would rather play Oklahoma City in the first round or Portland. I'll give my two cents first on Oklahoma City, and honestly, this one scares me a ton. I do not want the Jazz to play Oklahoma City in the first round. And if the playoffs started today, um, Oklahoma City would be the four seed and the Jazz would be the five seed as of this recording. And so that that's a little bit uh, scary to me. And the Jazz lost the regular season series to the Thunder 3-1. to now, granted, you know, those losses came in December when the Jazz were, one, they were facing the toughest month of any team in the league, and two, we, as we all know, they were not playing anywhere close to their best basketball. Um, so I feel like both teams are, are, I guess it would be a different matchup than it was back then, to put, to put it bluntly. Um, obviously, the, the biggest blow that the Thunder have had this year is they lost Andre Roberson uh, to injury. He's, he's their best perimeter defender, arguably. Um, and so not having him is, has hurt their defense big time. And so maybe the Jazz would match up differently in this one. But there's a couple things that worry me. Uh, one of them, of course, is Russell Westbrook. He's a machine. He's really done a lot of damage to the Jazz in the past. I think he could t he would continue to do so, especially in the playoffs. Um, Paul George, um, you know, he, he has another gear that he usually flips into in the playoffs. He's a very, very dangerous player in the playoffs. Um, I feel like this whole Thunder team has kind of just been coasting through the regular season. Uh, but once they hit the playoffs, they're just going to have a switch, and it's going to make them a lot scarier to face in the postseason. They're going to be a lot more daunting of an opponent. The same even goes for Carmelo Anthony. I mean, I know that um, he's not the most scary of, of players on that team. Um, he hasn't had the most postseason success, but I still think that he's going to have that, that be able to flip that switch, and he's going to be someone that's going to be um, capable of causing the Jazz problems. Honestly, Carmelo's the one that I'm kind of least afraid of just because his defense is not there. You know, his offense is not anywhere close to what it used to be. He's pretty much just a spot of three-point shooter at this point. Uh, but still, he could be dangerous come playoff time. Really, the one that scares me a lot too, though, is, is Steven Adams. And, you know, I feel like Steven Adams kind of flies under the radar um, among NBA fans and among kind of the national media. 
Um, really, in my mind, the big three in Oklahoma City isn't uh, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony. It's Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Stephen Adams. I think Stephen Adams is a load. I think he's great on both ends of the floor. Um, he has a little bit more offensive versatility than Rudy Gobert. Maybe you know he might say that his impact isn't quite the same. Obviously, they're different players; they do different things. But I do think that Adams is more versatile. Um, he's a good defender. You know, going to the flip side of the court, he's a good defender, but he's also not as good of a defender as Rudy Gobert. So you can maybe say Adams has the edge offensively. Gobert has the edge defensively um, but Adams has been hard for Gobert to handle um, this year and, and you know part of that obviously can be can be attributed to Gobert fighting injuries and, and all that um, but the fact of the matter is it's just a tough matchup across the board um, so like I said this is the one I really don't want to see the Jazz have I'd much rather play any of the teams I've mentioned up until now including San Antonio over Oklahoma City Honestly, though, I think there's a good chance that this is what it's going to end up being. I really think the Jazz are going to finish either fifth or sixth. As much as I'd like to see them get the four seed or the three seed even, and maybe they still can, I'd love to see them have that home court advantage. Um, I really think they're going to finish either fifth or sixth. Um, so that would have them playing, as of right now, Oklahoma City. Or they'd potentially be playing the, the Portland Trailblazers. That'll be the next team I'll talk about, who are currently in third place. And as I mentioned, that's been kind of the debate going around Twitter. Hey, Jazz fans, would you rather play the Thunder or the Blazers? And it's pretty it's pretty divided. Some Jazz fans think that we would do really well against Oklahoma City, and I can kind of see that argument because we don't know what that matchup's going to be like since Rudy Gobert's back and since um, the, the Thunder have lost Robertson and all that. Um, but to me, I feel like the Jazz just match up better against the Blazers. Yes, Damian Lillard is incredible. So is C.J. McCollum. But the Jazz have done a pretty good job of holding them in check this year. I know they've put up some big games points-wise, but efficiency-wise, the Jazz have done a pretty dang good job. And then, you know, how I talked about Steven Adams scares me with the Thunder. Um, Nurkic for the Trailblazers, he's a great player, don't get me wrong, but he just doesn't scare me. I feel like Rudy Gobert um, really has a leg up on him. I feel like Rudy Gobert can handle Nurkic quite well. Um, and then the, the Blazers, um, you know, for a while... A lot of people talk about how they didn't have much of a defense, didn't have much of a bench, but I feel like Terry Stotts has done an exceptional job with them. I think that he could be a coach of the year candidate without a doubt. And the Blazers really are a well-rounded team, so I can see them posing the Jazz some problems. But as far as individual matchups, I feel a lot more confident about the Jazz being able to slow down Lillard, McCollum, and Nurkic than I do about them being able to slow down uh, Westbrook, Paul George, and Steven Adams. So looking at it that way, I just feel like the Jazz would have an edge over the Blazers. Um, the Jazz are up 2-1 to one in the regular season. Um, the last game of the year on April 11th could very well determine if the Jazz get that tiebreaker over them. That, that, is, that could be a huge game. We don't really know. You know, If the Blazers have the third seed locked up, they may decide to rest Dame or rest McCollum or what have you. Um, so, so we can't really say that that's going to be a, a big game without knowing what, it's, what the landscape is going to look like then. Um, but Utah has a chance to get the tiebreaker there, so it could very well be an important game. Um, as cool as it would be for the Jazz to catch up to the Blazers and maybe even get that three seed, um, I feel like the Blazers, you know, they have a two-game cushion right now. And I just, I just don't feel like the Jazz or anybody's going to be able to catch them. And I could be wrong, but they're playing so well right now, um, I just don't see it happening. But even if they do stay in third place, you know, there's a good chance the Jazz finish sixth and this ends up being a first-round matchup. And I'd be okay with it. I mean, I think it would be tough. I, I really respect the Blazers. Obviously, they beat the Jazz in that game right after the All-Star break and looked really, really good. Um, but come playoff time, I really feel like the Jazz could, could have a fair shake and win in this one for sure. 
Now moving on to the the two and the one seeds. Obviously, it's going to be you know either the Rockets or the Warriors. Right now, with the Warriors injuries, it's looking like the Rockets are going to get the number one seed and the Warriors are going to finish number two. Uh, but things could still change. If the Jazz do slide down to seventh or eighth, they will play one of these two teams. And obviously, of everybody I've mentioned, the Warriors and the Rockets are the two toughest. It's kind of been a narrative all year that teams want to avoid finishing seventh or eighth in the West because it'll likely lead to a first round exit. And, you know, beginning with the Warriors, obviously they're tied one-to-one in the regular season. They have two games left um, this upcoming Sunday, as well as on April 10th. And both of those games, honestly, it's it's kind of funny to say it, but the Jazz may very well win both of those games. Um, not that the tiebreaker really matters over Golden State, because the Jazz are never going to get up that high, as we all know, um, this year. But with how injured the, the Warriors are, you know, both Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson will be out for Sunday's game, according to prior injury timelines. Steph Curry may still be out for Sunday's game. With all those injuries, the Jazz could very well win on Sunday. And then April 10th, you know, if things are pretty much settled in the Western Conference standings, if, if Golden State's pretty much stuck in second place, they may opt to rest some guys, kind of similar to last year, how the Jazz got that late season win over the Warriors. We may be able to do that again. Um, even though it'd be cool for Jazz fans to say that we won the regular season series 3-1, to one, I don't think the Warriors are going to care too much if they kind of give up the regular season series to the Jazz. That's not going to really affect them that much because they're going to be ready to come out full force in the playoffs. Um, honestly, I, I think we all know the blunt truth is that we want to avoid the Warriors at all costs in the first round. We don't want to slide to 7th or 8th and have to play them. But at the same time, it's kind of interesting because I feel like the Warriors are a little bit more of a question mark than one would think. They honestly look more vulnerable than last year. Um, not only just the injuries, although those are a big reason why, but also just because they, they don't seem as focused, they don't seem as locked in. Um, obviously, the last time the Jazz and the Warriors played, the Jazz won by 30 in, in one of the most exciting games of the year. Do I think that's going to happen in the playoffs? No, I don't. Obviously, this Warriors team is going to be a different animal in the playoffs. They're kind of going through their, their dog days right now. They're trying to get healthy. They're trying to get everybody amped up for the playoffs. And once the postseason hits, the Warriors are going to be a scary team. We all know that. But still, like I said, I don't think they look as daunting as they did even last season. So, you know, depending on where they're at health-wise, depending on where they are at momentum-wise or focus-wise, who knows? You know, maybe the Jazz, you know, find their find their rhythm and they, they find their um, the, that same execution they had in the big blowout win over the Warriors and they somehow find a way to, to, to get past them. Again, I don't think that's going to happen, guys. If I was putting money on it, I, I don't think there's any way I would pick the Jazz to beat the Warriors in a playoff series. All I'm trying to say is that the Warriors do not look as strong as last year and I really think that going up against them in the first round of the playoffs um, would be better than going up against the Rockets, which is who I'll conclude talking about next um, obviously if the Jazz fall to 8th, that's most likely who they'll play, assuming the Rockets keep up their, their pace and the Warriors continue to struggle with injuries. And the Rockets obviously swept the Jazz in the regular season, so, you know, uh, there's that. I do think the Jazz could match up better against them in the in the playoffs than in the regular season, just because, you know, we've seen that James Harden's style doesn't always translate over to the postseason as well, when the whistles kind of tighten up and, um, you know, things kind of slow down a little bit. Um, but at the same time, even though I feel like the Jazz would be able to put up a better fight in the playoffs, I, I honestly don't think they would get swept. I think the Jazz would steal one or two games against the Rockets. 
Um, you can quote me on that in case they do end up playing one another. I could be totally wrong. But I feel like the Jazz would put up a good fight in the playoffs. But at the end of the day, the Rockets have been too electrifying. They're actually playing defense this year, which is what has made them so much better. Um, I mean, you know, they, they have they have so many guys that can hurt you on any given night. James Harden is playing an MVP level. Um, he usually plays really well against the Jazz. The Jazz, and ha- Jazz haven't had much of an answer for him. And... Um, that's kind of my thoughts on the Rockets. I know it sounds weird to say I'd rather play the Warriors and the Rockets, and maybe that'll change You know, if the Warriors get their feet back under them and go into the playoffs with a ton of momentum. But just based on what we're seeing right now with the Warriors struggling with some injuries and different things that I mentioned, really the Rockets right now look scarier than the Warriors. Then again, I will say, you know, I think that Rudy Gobert can cause the Rockets problems. I think that the Jazz's kind of slower style can cause the Rockets problems. There's a lot of factors to consider there. But at the end of the day, obviously playing either the Warriors or the Rockets in the first round would be the least favorable of outcomes. Let's save that for the second round. Hopefully the Jazz get one of those more favorable options I spoke of earlier. Then they can advance. And hopefully the second round is a little bit more competitive for us this time around. I think as long as we're healthy, it really will be. I really think the Jazz can challenge both of these teams regardless of how many games it ends up going to. I really think the Jazz can be competitive against both the Rockets and the Warriors if they're healthy. So anyway, those are my thoughts on the potential playoff matchups for this upcoming year. Again, nine teams the Jazz could potentially face depending on how the Western Conference standings play out. Going to be exciting to see how they finish and I can't wait to see who the Jazz eventually end up playing in the first round of the playoffs. With all that being said, let's move on now to point number three, a look at the week ahead. Point three. All right, so real quick before uh, checking out this upcoming week of NBA action for the Jazz, I just want to recap last week real fast. Obviously, the Jazz, you know, they beat the Pistons, uh, they beat the Suns, and they beat the Kings. Um, I just want to give a few really quick thoughts on those games before we look at the week ahead. Um, The Pistons, honestly, how disappointing. I mean... Um, Not for the Jazz, obviously that was a great win, but how disappointing how the Pistons look right now. It just seems like they've absolutely quit on Sam Van Gundy. They've they've quit on their team. Uh, This Blake Griffin trade, I know it's early. Maybe things can change next year, but honestly it looks like it's going to be a doozy in Detroit. That's a lot of money to owe someone that doesn't seem to be engaged, and I just don't know how the Pistons are going to get out of this mess they're in. Um, It's almost a guarantee they're not going to make the playoffs this year. And like I said, how they're going to be able to bounce back in the future in future seasons now is going to be kind of interesting to watch. Uh, great win by the Jazz. Obviously, the Pistons didn't put up much of a fight, um, but it was fun to see the Jazz come out so hot. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, um, you know, I kind of gave my two cents on Twitter um, about the Phoenix Suns. And I just want to say, I mean, look at that team right there, and I'll tell you what tanking will get you. I mean, they've, they've gotten some good picks, some, some high picks in the draft lottery, and they just can't seem to figure it out. I don't necessarily blame all the players per se. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the organization, uh, you know, the coaching carousel that's been going on there. But I mean, you get this team that they don't try on defense. I get nervous playing against them every time because it just feels like they, they play out of control. And I was kind of cringe that someone's going to get hurt. I mean, obviously there was the Ricky Rubio incident. Um, at one point, Dante Exum went flying. That wasn't necessarily a dirty play by any means. But just things seem to always happen in games against the Suns that make me nervous. And I'm glad that we don't have to play them again in the regular season. Um, I, I just, I don't know. That's just not a team I enjoy watching um, based on the kind of the culture and the guys that they have there. Uh, the Kings game was a little bit scary, obviously. The Jazz pulled it out, but it, it looked for a while there like it could go either way. Um, good for the Kings, honestly. I actually am I'm glad to see them playing well. Obviously, I wanted the Jazz to beat them. I'm glad that happened. But I really, I would like to see the Kings get things turned around finally. I know they took a lot of flack for trading away DeMarcus Cousins and all that. But they have some intriguing young guys. I really like Bogdanovich. Um, I'll be excited to see what the future holds for him. 
And, you know, the Jazz are bound to have a bit of a, a scary game after winning so many by, by, by so many points by such a large margin. So it was a good kind of reality check game for them. And hopefully, you know, this week they can kind of brush that one aside and get back to their dominant ways. They'll have a good chance to do that Tuesday night. Now I'll, I'll, I'll look now to the week ahead. Um, Tuesday night they host the Atlanta Hawks. Obviously, this is one that's that's kind of interesting because the last time the Jazz played the Hawks, they had that terrible loss where we all thought it was rock bottom and we thought it was, you know, playoffs were toast. Then after that game, the Jazz went on to win 21 of 23 games. Um, they've been on fire of late. And now they get to have a little bit of revenge on the Hawks in that contest. Uh, I mean, the Hawks have actually played spoiler this year. That They've beat some really good teams, you know, including the Jazz. I mean, they beat the Cleveland Cavaliers twice. Uh, but they've also won just five games on the road. And I don't see them beating the Jazz on Tuesday in Salt Lake City. Jazz are going to have a chip on their shoulder for the way they played last time in Atlanta. Uh, the Jazz are going to want to end this uh, four-game homestand on a high note so they take a lot of momentum on the road. Like I said, I don't see any way that the Hawks win this one unless the Jazz come out just absolutely flat-footed, kind of like they did in Atlanta. So, I mean, if they play like that again, they're going to get beat. Uh, but I just don't foresee that happening. I feel really good about the Jazz winning on Tuesday, getting that 10th game in a row. Um, the one on Thursday, they'll be at Dallas. And, you know, the Mavericks are an interesting team because, um, you know, Mark Cuban said it was in their best interest to lose games. Obviously, he was fined for that. Uh, but the Mavericks have been they have been playing hard. They've been playing really well, I guess, in comparison to some of the other teams around them that, that aren't necessarily trying to play well. And they have guys like Dirk Nowitzki, obviously J.J. Barea, who always seem to just beat up on the Jazz and hurt the Jazz. Um, Dallas is never an easy place to play. I mean, the Jazz have had issues there before, no matter how good they've been or how bad the Mavericks have been. Um, they, they've struggled in Dallas before. So this one kind of has the feel of a trap game. I mean, it's the first road game after a four-game homestand. This will be a really good challenge for the Jazz to make sure they can get back to their winning ways on the road. Um, they've actually been really good on the road of late. And if they can continue that in Dallas, they could pick up a nice win there. One just quick fact about Dallas um, that I'm sure you guys heard about, but Wes Matthews is out for the rest of the year with a fractured leg. It turns out in the game that he sustained the injury, I thought this was crazy, he actually finished the game even though his leg was broken. They didn't know it was broken until he got an MRI the next week. Um, but what a, what, a, what a tough guy. I mean, Wes Matthews played through all that. I've always loved Wes Matthews from his days as a jazz man. Uh, I'm sad to see him go down with another injury. Uh, but that's a big loss for the for the Mavericks. You know, I think he's a great mentor for that for their young guys. He's a great three point shooter, great defensive guy. So I, I wish a speed recovery for Wes Matthews, but him not playing could be helpful for the Jazz. I think the Jazz are going to win that one. Uh, it, like I said, it's going to be a challenge for them. That one's not going to be a guaranteed victory by any means. Uh, but I think they'll pull that one out. Then on the second night of back to back, they will go and face uh, San Antonio. And as we all know, it's never easy to win there. I know the Jazz are 3-0 and against the Spurs right now. Uh, who knows if Kawhi's going to play or not. We really don't have a good feel for that just yet. But i, I got to be honest, guys. I I'd love to say that the Jazz are going to be able to bring that same effort they've had in the last three games and beat the Spurs. But I'm not counting on it this time. The Spurs are going to be fresh for this game. Um, you know, the last time the Jazz and the Spurs played, the Jazz needed one of the most incredible fourth quarter comebacks any team has posted against the Spurs in order to come back and beat them. Just, you know, with all these things adding up, um, with how hot the Jazz have been, they're, they're kind of destined to have a little bit of a letdown. I think we're going to see that in San Antonio. I hope I'm wrong, but just the Spurs, you know, I think they're finally getting in playoff mode. They're settling in a little bit. They have two big wins recently over the Pelicans and the Timberwolves, so they're playing better. Uh, I know the Jazz are extremely hot, but I just feel like that's going to be where the Jazz slip, and I'm picking the Spurs to win that one um, on Friday. Last game of the week will be on Sunday at Golden State. And, you know, as I mentioned, the Warriors are dealing with some injuries. 
Um, Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson should not be in that game according to previous injury timelines. There's a chance that Steph Curry won't play in that game. And, you know, if they're that hurt, I really think the Jazz will win this game. I mean, the Kings beat the Warriors in Oracle Arena um, not that long ago um, with them facing similar in injury problems. And if the Kings can do it, you know, I think the Jazz can do it as well. Obviously, if Steph Curry does play, that automatically kind of kicks him up a notch. They're still going to have Draymond Green. They still have bench guys that are, that are very, very good. Um, it's not like the Warriors are just going to roll over, per se. Um, but like I said, if they're not healthy, I, I really do feel good about Utah's chances. And since we know that Durant and Thompson are, are more than likely out for that game, I'm going to go out on a limb and pick the Jazz to beat Golden State on Sunday um, to give them, all said, a 3-1 week. Um, which all things considered would be pretty dang good, especially considering that they're playing, you know, the Spurs and the Warriors in the same week. I think if, you know, if the Warriors were healthy and the Spurs were fully healthy, we would probably assume those both to be losses. Um, so having the Jazz at 3-1, and one, and if they are able to go 3-1, and one, that's going to be big for them. So that's my thoughts on the upcoming week, guys. Um, really looking forward to it. The Jazz have a chance to, you know, hold on to their fifth place spot, or maybe if we can get the Thunder to lose, they can maybe start moving up a little bit if they keep um, playing as well as they have. It's going to be exciting to see. I can't wait to see how the Jazz close out the year, and it, it should be, uh, you know, a fun conclusion to the season. That's going to do it for today, guys. Thanks a lot for tuning into the Three Point Threat Podcast. Just as a reminder, make sure you are tuning into the show um, on Tuesdays on Dash Radio. You can listen to it there at 8 o'clock p.m. Mountain Time. Also, make sure you're following at 3P Threat Podcast on Twitter. Also, my personal Twitter handle is at Jared Woodcox, and you can find all my articles at at the J Notes or uh, thejnotes.com. You can find anything there relating to the jazz um, that I'm covering. So, so long, everybody. Cheer hard for the jazz this week. Important, crucial week. Let's go get it.